You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I got a call from someone in Vancouver. They basically said to me this was my fault. And they said because if you hadn't reported it, then none of this would have happened. Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Boudreau has been fired by the Vancouver Can- Canucks. I was pretty sure it was coming from about uh, October 8th. <laughs> I just didn't know when. I-, I have it on crystal clear authority that they were not permitted to make the coaching change when they wanted to. The really successful franchises in, in the NHL don't have ownership involved in hockey ops decisions at that level. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, hey, dog. good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, Jason, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. You're the king of orthotics. That's his new nickname. The king of orthotics. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Someone has moved, either moved the camera in studio. By the way, you can stream the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet now. I've never sat closer to you before. I have to continually move closer to mm-hmm. you to get in the middle of the shot. Is it making you uncomfortable? Uh, no. Okay. You, you know you've got, there's a little piece of tape on yeah, but it's your over desk. Here, but it's over here. Oh, okay. It's, so someone got, has moved the camera. Something's afoot. Maybe there was the an earthquake. Studios. Yeah, maybe. didn't go detected. You, yes, and it affected only my camera. Halford is uh, very routine oriented too. I love like, the process. Could could everyone just uh, could everyone just like mouth the words he says for the first two minutes of the show, including like how he introduces? Things. No one could do it like I can. And, like, That's Jason, why the process works. Jason, tell us about Kintech. If I didn't ask like, you, could you, do, you could do that in your sleep. <laughs> if I didn't ask you to talk about Kintech. Would you know to co- yeah. talk about Kintech? Okay. I would. Well, there we- now I just wait for, like, Jason, you're the king of orthotics. I like it. Like, it's good. It's routine. <laughs> it just keeps everyone, you know, like, even the way you stay, say good morning, everyone's like, okay, this is how the routine starts. So we anytime were- <laughs> your routine gets broken, you're kind of lost, which includes chaos. the camera being moved two inches. Something's off! It was a seismic event. Uh, we got a big show ahead on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You're going to begin the guest list at 6.30 with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. We'll whip around the NHL as we do every week with Greg. Um, touch base on all the big stories of the week. Many of them coming from Vancouver. 7.30, uh, Mark Lazarus. It's always hard to say his name. Yeah, I know. I we'll, always say Lazarus. We'll try not to call him Lazarus. I don't yeah. know what it is. He's the asterisk. Of hockey writers, how do you, right? how you, know, do you fumble you know. Lazarus? It's it's pretty because there's with Nazareth because like the they, no, there because there's a Lazareth too, right? Yeah. So you want to say l- th- at the end? It's like asterisk versus asterisk. That That's well, that one is that one is tough. Right? That one is or tough. as Halford says, nuclear or etc. Nuclear. <laughs> uh, Seven thirty pronounced nuclear. Seven thirty. That guy's going to join us. We'll talk about the Chicago Blackhawks who are in town tonight. 
Uh, it is tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. We're giving away tickets, right, A-Dog? Can you let the people know yes. about the ticket giveaway? Yeah, you know, hashtag WWL, ticket emoji. Give us your best, what we learn, praise me thoroughly, and you might win the tickets. These are tickets for tonight's game? They are do tickets. We usually do... We do. We're cutting okay. it close. Sorry, I'm asking a lot of questions no, about fine. the routine that we go through on this radio show. Uh, I know I've been here for a while. But... <laughs> so wait, we're with the Canucks. I'm talking to this puffy thing in front of me, right? Yes. We, uh, you text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Blackhawks. Now, I'm going to throw you on the spot. I'm going to make you read I that. Know. There's a new read. Halford's yeah. routine I tried completely. It. I, tr- I tried it this morning. did not go well. I practiced. It did not work out well. Jason, tell the people about Dunbar Lumber in the 650-650 text line. You nearly said Kintec there. Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center. That's the new one. Or Arbutus and Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I'm right by that one. He carved Which one? one? The Express Center. There, it's right near the other one in line. What does an express lumber center look you like? Gotta you gotta throw, you, you throw the lumber into the store <laughs> as you're driving by it. Here you go. Yeah, you just throw them on. They, do skate, sh- they do skate sharpening at the. Yes, express. that's right. Yeah. That was the ad read that we yeah. had. They do skate sharpening there, of course. Really? Uh, anyway, Mark, there's actually a drive-through uh, window for the Dunbar Lumber Express. You're <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. I need a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> How many got back there? And you have to talk like that, apparently. <laughs> um, Mark Lazarus is going to join us at 7.30 to talk about all that exclusively, the express window at Dunbar Lumber. 8 o'clock, Thomas Drance, Athletic Vancouver, Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we can get into everything that transpired, yes, transpired, in the first practice under Rick Tockett and 17 other head coaches. I think they had a one-to-one ratio between coaches and players on the ice yesterday. I enjoyed a lot of the pictures, a bunch of the panicked looks of the players on the ice. Talk was putting them through the paces, I guess. Yes, and they were enjoyable. they were being like scrutinized and analyzed by no fewer than eight coaches, I think, that were out there at one point. I know I said this yesterday, but are you guys kind of just looking forward to watching some hockey? Uh, yeah. I mean, like no drama, just the hockey kind of thing? Watching mean? hockey in terms of, hey, there's a new coach. Let's see how it looks different. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like it's, yeah. like part it's of the different. Coach, the reason you yeah. do a regime change is it does draw in new interest. I'm looking forward to how the defense looks. Like, will it be a gong show still, or will they have a bit of right. structure? Or, you know, I mean, we're going to go over this on the show today, things to watch for tonight. But I'm listen, I know there's been a lot of drama and I'm sure there are some people that are like, wait, aren't you guys going to rip on the Canucks anymore? I'm not done yet with my rage. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we might do a little bit of that. That's kind of just a tradition of the show. It's part of the routine, but like, I actually do want to see what this team looks like under a different coach, especially the, the hockey nerd in me is kind of like, okay, well, a lot of it's going to be X's and O's stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's see if the PK looks any different. Let's see just if they're going to play. You know, I don't love low event hockey, but let's see how low event they can get under this new head coach. I just want to see something different because with um, with the Canucks this season, every game pretty much has looked the same. You're kind of like, yeah, there's the 
There's the breakdown. There is an interest. <laughs> there's, there's the five-goal yeah. surrender. It's, All right. It's a I want to see it's what Taki does with lazy back checks. The first lazy back check, I want to see how Taki responds to that. I'll be, yeah, really, the, I'll be the really, guy really curious. Ha- guy has to go back to the dressing room. Yeah, he's just not there anymore. <laughs> as, I understand it, as I understand it, it's not laziness. It's just temporarily blacking out. That's there's right. a big difference there, okay? Uh, Canucks Blackhawks, 7 o'clock tonight, Rogers Arena. We mentioned that. Ten other NHL games. It's a busy night in the NHL. Uh, Boston-Montreal, one of the Canadian teams in action, Winnipeg and Nashville. The other, there's a bunch of NBA games. There's a quarters of the Aussie Open. But we got a big guest list. We got a lot to get to. First practice under Rick Tuckett. Uh, that is one of the things that happened yesterday. Laddie, take it away. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? So numerous takeaways yesterday from Vancouver Canucks practice. The first, where Rick Tockett, Sergey Gonchar, and Adam Foote were all in attendance, leading the guys through their paces. There were a number of interesting takeaways. Uh, and as you put in the notes, welcome, everybody, to the Jack Studnika era. Studnika, the early winner, at least for Monday, of the grand prize draw of who gets the new coaching bump. He moves up to a line with Bo Horvat at his center and Brock Besser as his winger. Uh, I went on to read that this is actually a rarity for Studnicki. You would have thought that maybe he would have had some looks in Mm -hmm. Boston. He said he recalled one game where he got to fill in for Patrice Bergeron to play alongside Brad Marchand, and then he said he played maybe two or three games alongside David Krejci, and that was it in Boston. Well, I hope he's got more than he's shown already. Uh, I know he hasn't been awful, but he hasn't been great either, right? Like... Uh, I haven't. I think the one thing with Stadnika is I just haven't noticed him much. Now, granted, um, as we were talking about with the Canucks, I think I've personally stopped watching the games, or I had stopped watching the games as closely as I used to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you weren't just, into it for the nitty gritty. I guess. No, I think yeah. a lot of people weren't because they were just kind of like, well, what's the point of trying to break down exactly what's going on with this Canucks structure and. You know, you're like I, I, Jack Stanika was just so far away from the the heart of the matter yeah. that you're kind of like, well, I'm not going to really get too much into that. Um, I haven't noticed him that much. I don't think he's been terrific out there. Uh, it's interesting that um, during the press conference with Alvin uh, Rutherford and Rick Tockett the other day on Sunday. Um, there seemed to be um, this feeling, and maybe it's around the management guys that have brought in new guys, that some of the new guys or some of the depth players haven't been given a big opportunity. And maybe some of their ice time is being stolen by the likes of JT Miller playing 24 minutes a night. I think there is a, going to be a feeling, or there is a feeling in the organization that there are other players that can do more if put in the right position to succeed. Rutherford said, hey, it might be that these guys just aren't all that good and they've underperformed for a reason because they're underperformers. But in a new structure, in a new system, maybe they can thrive. Well, I'm glad, you know yeah. what? I'm, gl- I'm glad that you mentioned that because I am too, because it was a good point. It is. And it actually harkens back to something that came up a few weeks ago, but in the inverse. We, I, mean, I remember coming in here and you and I talked a lot about Boudreaux playing the wheels off his top guys because what was he concerned about at the time getting wins yeah. didn't matter how yeah. if it if it meant three extra minutes for Petey and three less minutes for I don't know Lane Peterson so be it 
Boudreaux was uh, on a guy, he, he was a lame duck coach with no time left on his contract, looking to do whatever he could to survive another day. And then all of a sudden you start to look at it and you're saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, Hoaglander and Pod Colson really didn't progress at all. In fact, they regressed mm-hmm. on his watch. And then this move with Stanika, like my immediate, and it's this, this is one of those things where it's like, it's about Jack Stanika, but it's not really about Jack Stanika. Because think about the dynamic here. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that Rick Tockett, while at TNT, wasn't analyzing hours and hours of Jack Studnika film. I bet he had... He was no- the lead story. Right. How, how can you be broadcast. sure about that, though? He's like, they got all these big things going on across the league. He's like, guys, can we talk about Studnika for a couple minutes here? He's asking the guys in the truck to be like, uh, we need an ISO. Yeah. Just follow Studnika. him around. The Canucks game isn't even on the broadcast, Rick. So my, my as we belabor this point, <laughs> my... Uh, my Overall point is that this feels like something that maybe Tockett was told upon taking the job or suggested upon taking the job that, yeah, you might want to try and get some of these guys that we've acquired into more prominent positions to see what they do. And he's got the perfect um, landscape for it because there is zero pressure on Rick Tockett to win hockey games right now. Mm -hmm. Not in the immediacy. It's his job to do a lot of different things. Including, and I'll bring this point to the table now. The one, th- my one takeaway from yesterday, I joked about it earlier. The amount of coaches on the team, and then the amount of coaches that were on the ice. But and I don't know if we have this particular audio. We can get to some other ones later. Talk. It was meeting with the media, and they actually talked about kicking the learning into hyperdrive by having a million coaches on the ice. Yeah. He's like, instead of having one talking to the group, I'm going to have ten talking to individual mm-hmm. guys about what they need to do and what. More specifically, I think they don't want to see them do, right? The Sedines were out there at some point, too, weren't Ian they? Clark was out there. Jason mm-hmm. King was out there. I don't know who else got a twirl. Like, I stand well, still. Gonch- Gonchar and Foot. Yeah. The, the, new, the two new guys. And Gonchar was there live in person. was not a Zoom. Which Someone is... was carrying around a laptop, and he was just yelling at people. <laughs> it, was, it was just a clown I really, car. I really hope that happens. I do want to see that happen. They dropped <laughs> the clown car off, and coaches just kept pouring That's out. That's right. Please, please turn the screen to the right a bit. I got to yell at this guy. So the other thing we learned from Rick Tockett is that when it comes to his uh, forward lines, he he likes to work in um, pairs or duos. So as you can see how it's laid out, Studnika is with Horvat and Besser. So Horvat and Besser are probably going to be a pair that I or he's gonna he's gonna hope that those pairs work out, and then maybe he's gonna rotate in someone for Studnika. Uh, on the second line, it's Miller and Garland together. Those are the two veteran NHLers, and Sheldon Dries is with them. Um, I'm not sure who the pair is on the third line because it's Pedersen between Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. Probably Pedersen and, I don't know, Kuzmenko? Who knows? But that's just kind of his theory that he thinks about things and he goes, okay, well, I like these two forwards together, so we'll keep them together. And the other one can be kind of interchangeable. Uh, we'll see how that progresses. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more that came from yesterday, and we're going to start with JT Miller. JT Miller was in the middle as a center, as mentioned, between Garland and Dries. Dries, mm-hmm. Dries, whatever. Dries. We, yeah. I know. And uh, he had an interview. I think it was an exclusive talk with iMac because we don't have the audio that – of the quotes that we're talking about. So I think iMac was just chatting him, chatting with him after all the cameras and the microphones left. And once again, JT Miller talked about his emotions and 
how I guess he cares too much or whatever. And he was also talking about how he just needs to be better in certain areas of his play. Now, some of you will hearken back to after he signed his long-term contract extension, which, by the way, hasn't kicked in yet. Soon, though, soon. And he talked about, and I thought quite eloquently, and I thought with a lot of humility, about his need to get better as a two-way player and how he looks at some of the best players in the game and he admires the two-way centers that are not only good offensively, but more importantly, they are responsible defensively. Now, those words rang a little hollow, a little empty. (laughs) And they (laughs) rang even emptier as the season progressed uh, as some of JT Miller's two-way work was looked at and gone, this isn't even close. Right. Like, you're not even – you admire those elite players, and we're thinking of the likes of Patrice Bergeron. And you're like, you don't – you're not – you can't play center. Mm-hmm. But he's going to be back at center, and I think this is an organizational decision that they have to get JT Miller going as a centerman, especially if Bo Horvat is traded. You know why? Let me jump in for a second because we do have Miller audio, and I, I think it's important to hear it from the guy okay. himself just to kind of get a sense of exactly what we're talking about here because this was the other big takeaway from yesterday. JT Miller um, talking about his defensive play and his back-checking or lack thereof, and then there's a there's another wrinkle I want to get to on this on the other side as well. Here's JT Miller from yesterday. Going through a lot of the stuff, a lot of the BS outside of the room, is it's, it's taxing, uh, you know, especially when you're coming to the rink and you're not getting the results. Um, at the end of the day, for myself, just try to look in the mirror and, you know, how, to, how can I be better on the ice? You know, you know, how can I be a better leader? How can I, you know, control my emotions better? But at the same time, it's hard. Like, it's very, very hard when I play with a lot of emotion to keep it completely under control. And like I said, it may come off differently all the time, but at the end of the day, it's revolved around playing the right way and winning hockey games. And when we're not getting those results, you know, I'm mad at myself 99% of the time. So no uh, matter how it may come off. You know, the really interesting thing here, I think, is when Freed yesterday in the 32 Thoughts pod, uh, and he essentially said, make no mistake, this hire is a lot about JT Miller. Like, I think they are yeah. in, um, God, salvage mode doesn't sound right, but I think it is almost at that point where they're like, okay, we see what's in front of us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to salvage a guy whose seven-year contract hasn't even begun yet? That's I, what you're telling I, that's me? That's rare, isn't it? That's unusual. <laughs> Miller, look, Miller <laughs> talked yesterday and owned up to a lot of this. Like, I'm not saying it made it any better, but he said this year's been awful for me. Like, I feel like this has been really bad, and it has. Can I read some of the quotes that he gave IMAC? Yep. Uh He said, there's been a handful of negative moments this year that have really defined my season. I understand in this market, this is what you're going to get, but that's not my character to play like that. There's plenty of times where I'm hauling my ass on the back check, but the bad ones are bad. Like, I know they are. I'm the guy that's last up at night thinking about that. I'm not thinking about what everybody's going to say, whether it's the end of a shift or this or that. I know what I did. It's not me saying, screw that, I don't care. No, that's just me so in my own head that it's like it turns into a blackout for a brief amount of time. I'm still a leader on the team here, and leading by example is not doing that, and I fully understand that. It's been something on my chest all year because I feel like I've been kind of typecast for what kind of player I've been this year. But it's just been a handful of moments. Okay, this is a very weird um, detour here. Mm -hmm. I love it. Did you see the stuff uh, with Shannon Sharp at, at the basketball game? Yeah. Shannon Sharp 
apologized for that, for getting into it with the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm not even really sure what the whole backstory is behind that. It doesn't matter. He apologized. Okay, don't, yeah. we don't, no, we don't sure, need to know. We don't have the time. He apologized for that, and he said, I'm not going to say that wasn't Shannon Sharp, because it was, but I apologize anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I saw that. It was interesting. You know, like, I, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so many people there say, that's not me. I, well, like, it was, because we've got you on camera. Sure. Right? But I think what So he, until yeah. that stops, until that sort of behavior stops, but, like, I-, I I don't want to make this about Shannon Sharp, right? I just nope. thought that was interesting. He's like, I owned it. Like, I completely owned it. I was like, yeah, that was me. Like, that's part of who I can be sometimes, there you right? Go. Like, yeah. I'm not I'm not perfect, and this is where – but, like, it kind of – it kind of, uh, um, you know, he, he's like, I've kind of been typecast for what kind of player I've been this year. What do you mean typecast? Like, I, don't we have you, like, bang on? But here's the thing. What he said, like, if anyone says it rings hollow, that's not right. Because it doesn't ring hollow. It actually sounds like he's trying to explain exactly what's going through his mind. Yeah, it sounds the, genuine. The questions are, is the stuff going through your mind, like, the appropriate way to go about this? Like, is your personality such that maybe you're just not getting it? Or maybe you need someone to steer it in the right direction. Or is such an emotional guy who has, like, I don't mind emotions. Yeah. But... Can you have a guy that has trouble channeling his emotions as one of your leaders on the team? And I think, think that's where Tockett is going to come in. And well, I he don't, said that himself, and he was. But correct. I don't. But, do, I, but don't we all admire leaders who are emotional, but also like leaders who are passionate, but also leaders that are that have composure. That in the big moments, like he was talking about how uh, the the pressure. Has got to him. How, and he said something along the lines of like, it's felt like every game is game seven. Mm-hmm. Well, is that the way you're going to be when this Canucks team gets to a game seven? Like right. you're going to be so emotional that you're going to lose your mind? And is that the type of leader you want? Can you do better? Can the, the word for me, the big word for me is composure. That is what you need from your leaders on a team in the big moments. And, and Rick Tockett is going to talk a lot about game management how you handle certain moments of a game. And when the pressure ramps up, are you going to be the guy that you can rely on to go out there and do your job? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to be the guy that's blacking out because he makes a mistake? Well, that's really interesting because um, Miller, here's the thing. Miller talks like he's a leader. M- Miller talks, like a lot of things he says are the stuff that captains say of teams. Right? I mean, he talks about, I want to be this guy. I want to be a mentor for younger players. I shoulder this responsibility. I take this harder than anybody. Got to be a better way to say that. Yada, 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 right? And I, those are those are the lines and phrases and words of a guy that's a leader. But as you just pointed out, um, it might actually be in contrast to how he's actually viewed and then what actually plays itself out. I mean, you got to remember, for as much as we talk about the leadership group, at least in terms of C's and A's, like he's mm-hmm. not a part of it right now. Yeah. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a part of it. Maybe that's one of Tockett's moves is slap an A on him. Or maybe it's even go further with it. And then you almost force the guy to change his ways because he's like, look, that letter on your jersey means something right now. Now, I have no idea if they'll do this. But what you're talking about is very accurate. And we've talked about this before. The Canucks have put him... JT Miller in this, I hate using this term, but this alpha, per, this alpha situation, this mm-hmm. alpha role where he's the highest paid player on the team. 
Nobody signed longer than JT Miller. So he's got that clout. He's also got the clout of personality where he's a very demonstrative guy. On a team that's quite reserved overall. And he pointed that out the other day. And he, he wasn't did. wrong to do that, no, right? And he was very accurate. And, and yeah. like his assessments are usually pretty close. I think when mm. they come to his own individual play, he gets a little defensive. But when it's about the rest of the team, I find him to be pretty accurate. So we're talking about the things that we're looking forward to seeing under this new head coach and how maybe some of us are going to start watching the game a, a little bit differently, um, hoping that things are going to be different, that the Canucks are going to play a, a more responsible game. Well, JT Miller is going to be one of these guys where he's under the spotlight. So let's see how he performs and mm-hmm. maybe more to the point, let's see how he behaves on the ice. Mm-hmm. Is Rick Tockett going to say, hey, no more of this stuff where you come back to the bench and you slam your stick on the bench and start swearing and everyone, every one of your teammates is like, okay, man, calm down just a little bit. Like, let's stay in the game here. Mm-hmm. Let's stay focused on the next shift and let's be less about being angry about what's already happened on the ice. It's okay to be emotional. In fact, it's good. You want to be passionate. It gives people energy. But you have to channel it the right way, and that's going to be on JT Miller to improve, and it's going to be on Rick Tockett to help guide him. We will get into a lot more Canucks audio from practice yesterday. We'll uh, have some more. Hey, what can we expect tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, We're going to take a quick break first, and then we're going to talk to Greg Wyshynski about the Vancouver Canucks and also some of the other stuff that's going on in the NHL. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. 6.31 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. That music can only mean one thing. It's time now for Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Gregory. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm great. I mean, it was the Oscar nominations this morning. It's very exciting. Very exciting for uh, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. We got a Top Gun Maverick versus Avatar Two showdown in Best Fiction. What a what a what a time to be alive! Um, I was I had a rant the other day. Wish that I don't know if movie making has ever been at a at a lower point like ever. There are movie there are just not enough movies that get me excited to go to the movies. I look at the look at what's on in the theaters and I'm like, this is terrible. This is all terrible. Uh, I've seen a few good movies, like a handful. Like I really did enjoy Top Gun. Um, but what do you think about movies right now? Maybe, I I don't know. Maybe you're like a superhero action guy, or maybe you like going to see (laughs) things that, no, I'm serious. Like maybe you like to see movies that are, um, CGI, like Avatar. I have no interest in it. People like the CGI is great. I'm like, how's the story? They're like, eh, right. Like, so I don't know. What do you think? You say you like superhero CGI action guy. It makes you sound like you're a stamp collector. Like you're just, just, (laughs) you've rejected all kinetic fun in life no. and you just want to be sentiary avatar story is fine it's just like the same thing as the first one you know but but the reason that you go this is this is the thing with top gun and avatar and if you're you know predisposed to not like these kinds of movies the argument for going to see them 
is the visceral thrill of being in the theater and watching how they were constructed and, and how they execute what they're doing. And that's, Fair enough. That's really, that's really why those movies succeeded. Those movies succeeded. Like the Marvel movies succeed because it's got a built-in core audience that's excited to see their favorite characters. And if you throw enough of them in the same movie, you can still draw a pretty good audience. These movies hit because, you know, the first Avatar was you throw on your 3D glasses and you feel like you're on another planet. And, and they've gotten better at it now in this one because now you're on another planet and you're underwater with a space whale. And then the Top Gun movie is like nothing we've ever seen before because it's all practical effects of these guys actually in jets. You mm-hmm. know, here's, here's Miles Teller in a jet. Who knew we needed that? But now we do. <laughs> so, like, so, so like that was, that was the draw of that movie. I mean, obviously there's the Tom Cruise, you know, marquee star and the redemption story and, and all the nostalgia uh, home cooking of, of, of a movie that came out in the 80s. But uh, essentially the reason that movie hit the way it did is because it's an experience you can't get on your television. And, and to answer your question in a roundabout way, television is the reason movies suck. Like, like, like mm. Mayor of Easttown and all those like prestige mini, miniseries would all be movies. That's a really good point. 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. There's more more money in, in streaming. There's more places to put your content because mm. they, need, they need it. Like That's really what's impacted movies is that those mid-tier movies that I think you're talking about that you'd like to go see and, yeah. and mid-tier comedies, like they all end up on streaming either as miniseries or as things you can only watch on Apple. Like There was a Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds Christmas musical that came out. Yeah, I saw it. If this was like 10 years ago, that comes out on, on Christmas Day in theaters and, mm. and instead it was an Apple TV Plus film. I heard it was good, but I mean, how many people really got a chance to see it because of the the you know segregation of media that we have right now? So you know that's that's essentially the thumbnail of it. I think TV's influence on those types of movies is really really the thing that you're talking about. Let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks now. Um, I know you've talked about them a lot, uh, just in general, <laughs> and you, you've written about them. Um, one of the things we were saying on the show today is we're actually looking forward to watching the games now because they might be a little bit different with a new head coach behind the bench. Um, Rick Tockett has talked about doing a lot of things uh, such as, you know, cutting down the ice time of JT Miller, using different guys on the penalty kill. <laughs> we're, we're into the Jack Studnika years here where he's been given an opportunity on, on the first line with Horvat and Besser. So are, there are those little things that are going to be worth watching as the game um, as the games progress, and like it hopefully won't be the same old, same old, like the Canucks giving up five goals every game, defensive breakdowns everywhere. I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts on Rick Tockett as a head coach um, is, and also, like, do you think he's up for this challenge? Because it's a massive challenge. Um, I, I think he's up for the challenge, if, if only because he's got the backing of, of management. Like, one of the few true positives, I think, that comes out of this just gigantic, festering mess of a coaching situation is that now Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have their guy. And, and that's important because, you know, the Rudrow was hired by, by ownership before those guys came in to fix the team. And not only do they have the guy that they want, they also have the, a guy that they know from Pittsburgh that they're all going to try to instill – the, state, the same culture, they're all, for lack of a better uh, metaphor, rowing in the same direction. And, that, and that, that could be a very good thing for Vancouver. Let's, let's be honest. Um, as far as the kind of coach he is, so I'm, I'm on the fence about him, to be honest with you, because he, he, he clearly 
his his success in in Arizona was within the context of being in Arizona, right? Like, let's be honest. Like, we've seen other guys emerge from that place, get more credit than they should because they took an awful situation and made it, you know, mediocre. And that's essentially what he did there. But the the, the ins and outs of how he coached is what really fascinates me because those teams couldn't score. They couldn't score a lick. They were terrible offensively. And if you listen to his press conference, what he's saying is, well, I was coaching to the roster. You know, I was keeping games close trying to keep them competitive. The best players on the team were Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta. And so I was, I was dealt a hand and I played that hand. And, and, and maybe that's not what it's going to look like when I'm coaching the 10th best offensive team in the NHL. And I've learned my lesson on this. Like when Lindy Ruff was hired by the Devils, I'm like, why would you, why would you hire a defensive guy to coach, to coach this team? Because that was his reputation in Dallas. But, I mean, that was the team he had. His best mm-hmm. player was his goalie, and, and that's how he coached. And sometimes these guys coach to the roster. So I'm a little bit more open-minded to the idea that we're not going to see a team shooting 5% like the Coyotes did uh, now that uh, he's in Vancouver. You wrote for ESPN.com uh, what comes next in the wake of the Rick Tockett hire. And one of the questions that you tried to answer was, can the Canucks mend their relationship with their fans? From a perspective on the outside looking in, were you able to answer said question? I mean, I think the only way you do it is winning. I think, I think Alvin's completely right. Like, the, the, there's an empty space in the rafters where banners should be. And if you win, it, it really does. It's the only way to soothe the, the anger that fans feel towards this management team, the way that Bruce Boudreau was was treated, the ownership, the, the, the way that the, the roster is, is a mess, the performance of the player, like all of that stuff that's all balled up and, and contributing to the angst that this fan base has on top of the decades of, of not winning a championship, the only way that you fix that is by, by being successful on the ice and, and challenging for a Stanley Cup. And I think these guys know that. No, no amount of PR, no amount of outreach, no amount of of explanation why they bungled this so badly is going to fix anything. The only thing that's going to fix it is winning. And and that's the challenge before them. Do you think um, his, his work with the likes of Phil Kessel and I don't know, maybe even earlier in his, his career, well, the Steven Stamkos probably example isn't great, but let's, let's stick with the Phil Kessel. And he was known as the Phil Kessel whisperer in Pittsburgh. And, and, and we all know Phil's personality. It's, it's not typical for the NHL. Um, JT Miller has a more typical personality for uh, the NHL, but there are challenges there. How much do you think this hire was to do with JT Miller and trying to get Miller to channel his emotions and become a better leader for the Canucks? Because if they aren't going to trade him, they better hope that he turns into more of a leader and channels those emotions because they got him locked up for a long time. So one of the things that Tockett stressed in his press conference was that he was going to communicate with these players. He was going to build relationships with these players. He's a guy that goes to the, I think he said water cooler, which I don't even know if they exist and, uh, and talk to these guys and, and really try to connect with them on a human level, which is his, sort of his forte. It's sort of his calling card. You're right. He's the Kessel whisperer for a reason. But I think beyond that, what all the, whenever you see a coach hired, they're saying this because essentially their job is buy-in. Their job is to get everyone to buy into their system, to the way they want to play, to their philosophy. You saw it in Boston this year immediately with Jim Montgomery. The reason that team is a juggernaut 
is not only the talent on the roster, but it's because they are all buying into what this guy is selling and playing the, the, the style of hockey he wants to play. And that's what you need to, to, to succeed in this league. You need everybody, all the gears turning in the right direction. Now, the JT Miller of it all is very interesting because I, I don't know about you guys, but like, I feel like this hiring is a rebuke of everything they thought was wrong with what Boudreaux was doing, almost point by point, right? Yep. It's like, we want to build a culture. We want to practice hard versus Rutherford saying our training camp was atrocious and we don't play a system. You know, like all of this, the complaints that Rutherford had about Boudreaux seem to be embodied as the antithesis of that by Rick Tockett. And I, I think one of them is the ability to break through to a guy like JT Miller, who they've invested a, a ton in and that Boudreaux seemingly can't, couldn't transform back into the guy that he was, you know, previously. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's part of his, his task list because I think that's why he was hired. Um, Wish one of the teams that was rumored to have interest in JT Miller over the offseason is the New York Islanders, and the New York Islanders are not in a good way. I don't know how many Canucks fans have been paying attention to the Islanders or anything else besides the Vancouver Canucks, but what is going on with this team? Well, for a while it was injuries. I mean, and then they get Kyle Palmieri and, and Adam Pellick back. So at least they're getting some, you know, of those guys off of IR last night against the Leafs. And, and they played competitive. I mean, they took a lead against them. They, they rallied and took another lead after the, the Leafs answered it. And it looked pretty good for a while. And then all of a sudden things kind of fell apart. And the, uh, the defensive stranglehold they had on the Leafs in the first period dissipated pretty quickly. And, and, and that's kind of the problem with the Islanders right now is that I, I think it's a real problem of identity. I mean, you know, when you go from Barry Trotz to Lane Lambert, you're going from the general to the lieutenant. Those Barry Trotz teams, you knew what you were getting from them. And, and I think that there was an expectation that they wouldn't be the team that blows the lead on the road or, you know, is going to be kind of easy to play against. And, and then these Islanders teams have been that way. And what you're seeing right now on Long Island is this, backlash against Lula Amarillo and, and the fact that this roster was largely kept together. And we talked about this earlier in the season when the Islanders were finding success. The great gamble for, for Lou was whether or not last season was an anomaly and that this roster he put together is actually that good or whether last season was more indicative of what this Islanders team was and the pandemic seasons were the aberration. And I mean, I guess we'll find out at the end, <laughs> you know, whether they make the cut or not. But right, right now, I mean, if you ask an Islander fan, they're going to tell you that it's, it's that last season was, was the truth and that there should have been more aggressive shakeup of his roster. But at the same time, I mean, what is he supposed to do? I mean, if we're going to take Jim Rutherford at face value, it's one of those deals where you can have the best intentions of making aggressive deals, but the salary cap negates a lot of that. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but there's definitely a lot of tension right now insofar as the way the team was, was, has been managed. I mean, it's not like Lamorello hasn't been active at the deadline before, especially with the Islanders, the Pajot deal, I mean, they, they came out of their boots to get him and then signed him to a pretty long-term extension. I remember the Parise deal originally, that weird trade that they had going, um, was supposed to happen at the deadline, and then it didn't. It took a while to kind of iron out all the details. But it's funny because everyone said, you know, Lamorello's too conservative and he's too patient, yet there are examples of him uh, going large at the deadline. It, I think this year is fascinating because – whether he does or not at the deadline will really sort of dictate, as you alluded to, what he thinks about this group and what their ceiling is. Right. But, I mean, we might already know what he thinks because I, I, I think I, – I agree with you. I mean, you know, I've been following Lou since I was a kid, right? I've seen him make big right, trades right. that, that led to Stanley Cup championships and such. But 
I think the, the problem with the Island, that the Islanders fans have is the idea that this team was, I, I think, the biggest disappointment in the league last year. And then the most significant move they made in the offseason, besides the Barry Trout slipperoo, was, was uh, trading for Alexander Romanoff on draft day. Like, that was it. <laughs> like, everybody else is still there. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a level of anticipation they're going to do something, um, you, you know, if, if they're close. The Patrick Kane thing has always been in the ether as far as they're, if they're going to be in on him. He's got a relationship with Barzell. Um, you know, I, I think that th- this is a team begging for there to be another star uh, on this roster to partner with, with Maddie because I think that Barzell's like a really great player, but ultimately he's kind of like your complimentary star. He's your Pippin, right? You're looking for Jordan, and he's right. Pippin in my eyes. So, like, um, that's kind of where they are right now as a, as a franchise, which probably tells you that maybe it's better to not make the playoffs because there's going to be a few Jordans in this draft. <laughs> you know, so yeah. like we'll see what they do. But but again, he clearly thinks this roster is good enough. If he didn't, then he would have been a hell of a lot more aggressive in the offseason to change it, and he wasn't. Well, it's funny, right? You've got the Islanders now that are kind of at this tipping point. It's do we you know try and make the push or do we slide back into this draft? We've seen the Canucks steadily slide back in the standings and higher in the draft. And then there's the situation in Ottawa where they've uh, shut down Josh Norris for the year now. Uh, he'll undergo shoulder surgery. That's a 35-goal guy from a year ago that signed a huge extension there. And I was listening to some audio this morning, guys talking about, I wonder if Ottawa is kind of waving the white flag on the season and taking a step back as well. So interesting things to watch there. We're speaking to ESPN's Greg Wyshynski here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, I want to ask, Wish. How much attention, if at all, I'm sure you paid some, did you pay to the Johnny Gaudreau return to Calgary last night? Well, I watched a lot of it because on, on Daily Wager, my best bet was the Leafs Calgary parlay. So I had to okay. find out if I was going to look like a genius or not. Um, genius, the reaction you're a genius. Was really funny. Three, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you look what happens when you pick two money line chalk winners. Boy. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Although, I'll be honest the... with you, I was, I was a lot more nervous about the Leafs last night than I was the Flames, and all of a sudden the Flames go to overtime. I'm like, oh, what is this now? Yeah. They dominated but, um, that game, though. They did. They yeah, they, they did. I mean, it was Corpusello standing on his head and, and you know, the, 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 the Blue Jackets getting some opportunistic goals against Ladar and, and yada, yada, yada. But, um, like – that was a real fun one last night. The way I un- understand it from the feelings of Calgary fans is that they are genuinely upset about Goudreau. And I know they gave him a nice cheer last night. It's hard not to cheer a guy that gave you as many thrills as that guy gave in his career in Calgary. But the difference between him and Kachuk, they both wanted out. They both didn't want to be in Calgary anymore. But at least Kachuk had, had the, 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 the manners <laughs> to let him know well beforehand that they hit, he wasn't going to be there. I mean, I remember being on a call with Brad Treliving hours before free agency started, and, and he had just been informed definitively that Goudreau wasn't coming back. And, I mean, that is, that's really putting your team behind the eight ball. So I think there's some definite residual bad feelings, not only about a guy leaving the, the city, um, but also about the way that, that Goudreau handled it. And, and yeah, you want to give these players a little bit of, 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 uh, of, of leeway when it comes to their feelings and what's right for their families. And it's a huge life change decision, but I, I don't blame a fan for being upset about the idea that this guy strung the team along to the point where, you know, there was stasis and what they could possibly do with the draft, for example, or other places, because they were hoping that he'd come back. It's just, it was an interesting dynamic because all the pieces were there for it to be like, 
oh, the the ex that spurned the city. He's coming back now. But Calgary had its own issues going into last night. Right? They haven't played well. They've underachieved. Columbus is an abject disaster this season. I mean, they stink. <laughs> and Goudreau's numbers are fine. But they're not like all world or otherworldly like they were in Calgary. And then there's this dynamic where you just kind of look at Goudreau and he never really is was ever going to fit the mold of the villain. Like I could see Kachuk coming back and chirping the crowd and everything, but I yeah. could see Johnny walking out like gnawing on a cheese sandwich with these big wide eyes, being like, "Wow, there's a lot of people <laughs> here." And I just I don't know if it was ever going to live up to the hype. But I I think part of it has to do with the fact that how it's played out for both teams is if you looked at last night's game. Both teams came into it, and you could say both season were disappointments. So no one really got anything out of this big saga from the summer other than lackluster play on the ice. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's probably part of it, too. I, I do think that there was always an undercurrent of disappointment that Goudreau, despite being a star and, and putting up the numbers that he did, couldn't get them farther in the playoffs than he did. Yeah, um, and, and maybe a little bit of criticism of his playoff performances as well. So there was a little bit of of think animosity about his time in Calgary. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think your point's well taken, which is that it's not as if he left for a team that's now contending for a cup. Although I do wonder what the overall Calgary opinion of Boudreau will be if he's putting up 120 points next to Bedard or Fantilli uh, next season. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a, little cha- a little change in that attitude if that happens. Wish. This was great, bud. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We got a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and I think it's a really good text. And I think it. Uh, I think we can have a good discussion off this. And it's about the honesty of Jim Rutherford, which he himself said, hey, maybe I need to zip it. A little bit more. And here's how the text goes. It's unsigned. Where we ask for honesty from people, well, Jim gave us his honest assessment, and now people don't like it. You can't have it both ways. Do you want them to be honest or not? Man, what a good question. And how often we as media members or as a fan base can come across like complete hypocrites. We obviously don't like to be lied to. We don't like to be misled. We love it when people go out there and give us quotes to talk about. And how much did we get to talk about the comments from Jim Rutherford Mm -hmm. that go all the way back almost a year now about Bruce Boudreaux. Mm -hmm. And now we're criticizing him for it. Um, I think it just depends on how you see it. And sometimes you can be, I'm not saying it's good to be a hypocrite, but sometimes you can come across like that. Like, Here's the way I see it. (laughs) Um, I love the honesty. I think it's great. I think it gives us all sorts of things to talk about. For us, it's more exciting than what Patrick Alvin, for example, was giving us in his interviews where we were like, God, that's boring. Like, he's just, it's just brutal. You know, we make fun of Kevin Sheveldayoff in in Winnipeg. Like, this guy will talk for 10 minutes and he he says nothing. Mm -hmm. But I think you can also say and answer honestly, like, Hey, love the honesty. Is it good for your team? And answer that question maybe without being a hypocrite. Yeah, I don't. That's a tough one. Well, I don't. You don't think it is? No, because I don't think anyone. Here's the thing. Uh, There wasn't a lot of people that were yelling at 
Rutherford for being open and candid in his remarks about the coach. It was yes, everything. It was everything. Yes, that, well, it wasn't were. me. It was everything that happened in the aftermath. It was why is he still the coach? Why is this being dragged out? I didn't. Here's the thing. That is true. Yeah, that is like true. I don't. I don't. I, I, am I misreading the situation? When he went on Hockey Night in Canada, five games into the season after the Buffalo loss, and said all these things that was wrong with his team. You and I came in on Monday. We're like. That's fairly accurate. <laughs> Sounds like he's got a pretty good handle on what's plaguing the team. The question was then, what do you do about it? People have a reflexive um, notion in them that if you take someone's words or take their quotes or listen to what they say, and then you ask, well, what's next? That's not being critical. Mm-hmm. That's not being critical of what he said. It's like you said something. If you don't want to be held to account, then yeah. Don't be honest and don't say anything. Pull the Alvin route. The the best thing about Patrick Alvin quotes is that there's nothing to live up to in the aftermath. Do you think that's Rutherford coming from Carolina and Pittsburgh and just not respecting the fact that this fan base and the media in the city are just so hyper focused on the team? That's a great question, Andy. Sure. And it, and that's a more it, that's a more accurate question. Because I th- I think it might have caught him off guard a little bit. You know, it, it's funny because everyone talks about Jim Rutherford's experience, like he's been in the game for 50 years or whatever. Not in this market. Not in Canada. Nope. All he has to do, totally different. All he has to do in these in these conversations on sports, and when he when he is telling the truth, is follow it up with something like, "Hey, I know Bruce is is trying though. I know he's doing a good job. I know he's going to work out." All he had to do was throw in a little line after he was critical to show support for his coach. Mm -hmm. That's all you got to do, and none of this speculation happens. You're allowed to be critical of your coach. But show some support but he, but after he's you not, are critical. But he's not used to this level of And at the end of the day, guys. But there like, was no support. That's why he didn't say it. At the end of the day, guys, the, the, the one thing that matters the most is, is winning. Like when you're losing and when things are not going your way, you're going to get criticized for whatever you do. If you're winning and things are going great and then you look back on being lied to, you're kind of like, man, that was some great misdirection. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it helps your team out, yeah. if it helps your team out, but I think why there's so much criticism of Rutherford's comments, like, yeah, he was honest, but isn't that the whole point? Did it help the team? No, I think it hurt the team. I think it hurt the brand of the team, his comments. So that's what you criticize. We got a lot more to come on the Halford and Bruff show. When is our next guest? 7.30, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago is going to join us. Uh, we'll preview tonight's game. It is the Canucks and Blackhawks, 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. Friendly reminder, we're giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Blackhawks tonight at 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. What you need to do to be entered into the grand prize draw to win the tickets, send us to what we learned. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hashtag it, WWL. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. And put a ticket emoji into the text. You will be entered into a grand prize draw to see the Canucks and the Blackhawks tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Speaking of 7 o'clock, the 7 o'clock hour is coming up. we got an open segment to start. We'll dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line, take some of your texts, some of your questions, some of your talking points. And then Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago is going to join us to preview tonight's game. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.